And now I will introduce today's guests. Ladies and gentlemen, have you ever come across a clever turn of phrase and said to yourself, I wish I had thought of that? Take the Vital Signs Report, for example. Vital Signs, the essentials of life without which we are lifeless. Vitality, the resources to, to thrive and live to the fullest. As President and CEO of the Toronto Community Foundation, Rahul Bardwaj pays close attention to the pulse of our city. Whether that pulse emanates from the heart of an infant born into poverty, or the drums of a marginalized community longing for respect and opportunity. For almost 30 years, the TCF has been an essential source of philanthropy and leadership, dedicated to making Toronto the best place to live, work, learn, and grow. The TCF's annual Toronto Vital Signs Report doesn't just analyze what's getting done, it gathers information and feeds it back about what's not getting done. Today, we'll be the first to hear about its findings for 2010. The timing couldn't be better. In three weeks, Torontonians will elect a new mayor. There's been a lot of focus on the candidates, their ideas about what Toronto needs and needs to be, and who has the best plan for delivering on both. Today, with the results of this year's Toronto Vital Signs Report, we'll get an open, Nonpartisan view of the issues Toronto is facing, compiled in a method, uh, methodical way by an objective third party, just in time to make up our minds about where to mark our X on October 25th. We'll be joined by award-winning writer, editor, and Globe and Mail columnist Margaret Wenty, a longtime Toronto resident who frequently weighs in about things that matter to our city, often provocatively sometimes humorously, always insightfully. And Martin Connell, the quintessential, quintessential community volunteer, philanthropist, and chair of the Toronto Community Foundation. But first, a little, about, a little bit about our featured speaker. Rahul Bardwaj believes in service to community. A lawyer by profession, he has devoted his spare time to many a worthy cause the Toronto Olympic Bid, the United Way of North York, the Art Gallery of Ontario Foundation, the Stratford Festival, among many others. In 2007, the National Post named him one of the next generation of Toronto civic leaders. And in 2008, he was made a member of Mayor David Miller's Blue Ribbon Fiscal Renewal Panel. He joins us today as President and CEO of the Toronto Community Foundation to present and discuss the results of the TCF's 2010 Toronto Vital Science Report. Please join me in welcoming Rahul Bardwaj. Thank you, Nick, for that very kind introduction. And thank you to the Canadian Club for inviting me to speak from this very storied podium. And thank you to BMO Financial Group for sponsoring the luncheon today. But most of all, I want to thank all of you for coming. The size of this crowd really speaks to the issues facing our city today. And we're going to look at those issues today through the lens of Toronto's Vital Signs 2010. As many of you may know, the report 
is filled with trends and statistics. It's been described as an annual checkup on the quality of life in this city. But it also tells a story about Toronto at a turning point. I'm going to tell you that story today because all of us have a stake in how it turns out. I'll let you in a little bit on the ending. You can't row a boat in two directions at once. It's time we start pulling together. And the stars have never been so aligned to do just that. I'm going to talk about some of Toronto's extraordinary strengths, and we have many of them. I'm going to speak about the challenges, and frankly, they are growing. Then I want to get into some of the solutions, not just about our actions, but quite frankly, about our attitudes. But first, let's start with what is Vital Signs and why do we even bother to do it? As I said, it's a comprehensive report that we develop over one full year. We do it in partnership with many well-known organizations. Many of you are here today. We do it with our lead research partner, which is George Brown College. The report looks at very uh, 11 independent, important, but highly connected factors of life in Toronto. It's a snapshot of our city, brings it all into focus. We look at the safety of our citizens. We'll look at the environment. We look at transit. We look at the gap between rich and poor and much, much more. But it's more than just any report. It's the compass that guides our work at the Toronto Community Foundation. Now, our foundation, as you heard, is focused on making the city as good as it can be, the best it can be. And we do it by connecting philanthropy with community needs and opportunities, bringing those two together. We identify needs in the city through the Vital Signs Report. Then we identify, and with our fund holders and many partners, we fund the solutions to the needs identified in Vital Signs. Identify the issues, support the solutions. We call that the art of wise giving. Now, Vital Signs also guides us in a lot of our city building initiatives. We do this with a host of our partners, and you may know about some of them. The Toronto Sports Leadership Program for youth in high-priority neighbourhoods. Or if you've been to the museum subway station recently, that's our Arts on Track, the transformation of public spaces. Currently, we're working with the Pan Am Games on developing their social capital programs. And I'm pleased to let you know that with the support of IBM, we just launched our online community knowledge center. It's a web portal that highlights nonprofit organizations that are providing the very solutions to the issues raised in this report. It's been called the YouTube for Philanthropy in Toronto, and it's one of a kind. Now, earlier, you heard me refer to this as a snapshot. Now, why is that important? Because in Toronto, as diverse as we are, we have as many perspectives on Toronto as there are people in it. Where you live and how you get to work often provides you the lens on how you know Toronto. So if it's North Toronto, down to Bay Street along Mount Pleasant, very different than Scarborough to Young and Shepherd via public transit. So we all see very different Torontos. Let me share a very personal example with you. I am blessed to live in a neighborhood known as the beach, right by Ashbridge's Bay. And I'm known to go for a run down on the boardwalk sometime. And when I get there, what do I see? I see iPods, Starbucks, golden retrievers. It's like running through a Freedom 55 commercial. 
But you come back a little bit later in the day, and what do you get? Spicy barbecues. You get languages and clothes from all corners of the world. It's more like the set of the film Bollywood Hollywood. The important part is, though, these are two very different Torontos sharing the same space, but they're very far apart. Vital Signs bring these, brings these different Torontos together and gets us all on the same page, exactly where we need to be. So as we look at this year's report, there are two key themes that I'd like you to keep in mind. Firstly, we live in a great city. We've got a lot to be proud of. Secondly, Toronto is facing challenges that have brought other cities to their knees. So what does Vital Signs 2010 tell us about Toronto? Let's begin. Let's begin with did you know. Did you know you live in a city of 2.65 million people in a region of 5.5 million people? Long a city of immigrants, we're now home to people from 200 ethnic origins and over 140 languages and dialects. By comparison, there are 192 member states in the United Nations, so we are diverse. Almost half the city's residents are foreign-born. That's the second highest percentage in the entire world. Number one, Dubai. So what has this great massive diversity done with the city of Toronto? Well, in 2010, PricewaterhouseCoopers selected Toronto as one of 21 leading finance cultural and business centers in the world, and number one in the world, number one in the world in livability. Toronto dropped one sport, spot on the Mercer Quality of Living Survey down to number 17 amongst 221 global cities. How about the top U.S. city? Came in at number 31, a place we wouldn't mind visiting, Honolulu. How about innovation? Number of patents filed is considered a very good or reliable measure of innovation. In Toronto, for the third year in a row, we're 17th in the world at 843 patents filed. That's great news. It's only half of what they did in Washington, D.C., only a third of what they accomplished in Chicago, and that ranks far behind number one, Tokyo, with 20,605 patents. So we've got some work to do. But Toronto is productive, and it is prosperous. With GDP growing from 86 billion in 1981 to over 121 billion in 2009. We make up about 25% of the province's GDP and about 10% of the nation's GDP. The US comparator, New York City, Chicago, Boston, San Francisco combined make up 10% of the U.S. GDP. So make no mistake about it, Toronto is the most significant driver of the provincial and national economies. So that's Toronto from the outside looking in. Let's delve a little bit deeper into some of our vital signs. And first, let's start with the environment. After years of being known as the big smoke, we're actually getting greener. There were, fewer smog, there were four smog alert days in 2009. That's down from 13 in 2008, 29 in 2007, and we're well below the 10-year average of 17.7. How about our beaches? More of our beaches are meeting the strict water quality standard of blue flag designation. In 2009, seven of our 11 beaches were blue flag 
That's up from four in 2005. So I touched on beaches. Well, how about islands? And by that, I mean the phenomenon of urban heat islands in Toronto. Heat islands. These are areas of higher temperature in the city, and they create a vicious cycle of adverse effects. You get your heat, get the air conditioning, the more energy to support the air conditioning, the emissions from the air conditioning energy, and once again, more heat. And they're growing by 3% annually in Toronto. Well, if that's news to you, it'll also be news to you that in 2009, Toronto became the first city in North America to pass a bylaw requiring green roof construction on new industrial development, precisely to curb the heat island expansion. So let's move from the environment, turn the page, and move over to everybody's favorite, transit. Let's look at getting around this vast city. The reality is we're still the longest commuting time in Toronto. But one obvious solution is our public transit. The TTC is the third largest rapid transit system in North America, right after New York City and Mexico City. In 2009, the TTC reported record ridership, over 471 million riders. That's over a million and a half passengers each business day. But the overcrowded system, well, it's got to increase its capacity to handle another 175 million riders annually by 2021. So we've got a long way to go. The Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, known as OECD, they recently cited Toronto's transportation woes as the key threat to our region's future prosperity. You may be interested to know, though, that Canada is currently the only one of the 31 OECD nations without a long-term federal investment transit plan. We all remember the adage, you fail to plan, you plan to fail. An area of great pride for Toronto, and another chapter in the story chronicled in Vital Signs, it's arts and culture. Now, this is considered a key indicator of prosperity for a city, and we're doing rather well. In 2009, over 15.5 million people attended city-funded or programmed events. That's an increase of 20% over the previous year. And you only need to think about the turnout at Nuit Blanche on the weekend to get a good sense of what this city's capable of. So, we take our art very seriously in Toronto, perhaps not so much our artists, and I'll tell you why. We have the highest number of artists in the country at 22,300. That's one-sixth, one-sixth of all the artists in Canada. But the median earning of these artists was about 36% less than the median for all Toronto workers. That's very low considering half of these artists actually have a bachelor's degree or higher. How about the Bohemian Index? Well, Toronto scores fourth on the Bohemian Index in North America. What is the Bohemian Index? It's a measure of professional, artistically creative people in a region. And this is a strong indicator of a driver of economy. I'll give you an example. Film and television production in Toronto generated over $877 million in 2009 alone. Good news is that's up 43% from the year before, and especially good because it included a doubling, a doubling in U.S. activity back into Toronto. Now let's have a look 
and one of the more important aspects of our city and one that's most headlined, and that's safety. Despite the intense media spotlight on crime, police reported crime continues an almost decade-long decline. Total criminal offenses in the city dropped for the third year in a row. The number of reported violent crimes in the city is also at its lowest in more than a decade. There are fewer property crimes in the city, a 2.8% decrease from the year before. And hate crimes, hard to say, but a bad news, good news story. Bad news increased by almost 14% to 174 cases last year. That's compared to 153 the year before, but well below the 17-year average of 201. Good news, bad news story. So as you can see, there's lots to be proud of. We're a great city with the potential to be even greater. That's the good news, but that's only a part of the story. As I said earlier, we have some serious challenges ahead of us. The city is becoming divided and disconnected, largely between the inner suburbs and downtown. And we see this story playing itself out in the current municipal election. This is a story within the bigger story that I'm telling you today. It's the story of the emergence of the three cities of Toronto, the wealthy inner core, the diminishing middle-income neighbourhoods, and the struggling inner suburbs of the northeast and the northwest in Toronto. In 1970, 66% of Toronto neighbourhoods were middle-income. In 2005, that 66% has become 29%. What happened? They did not all move to the 905. Over the 35-year period between 1970 and 2005 was a time of great economic growth in Toronto. But let's look a little bit more at that. Over that time, the number of very high-income neighbourhoods, we call that City 1, that doubled as a percentage and went from 7% to 15%. The number of middle-income neighbourhoods, City 2, they were cut in half. And the low or very low income neighborhoods, city three, they went from 20% of all neighborhoods to currently over 50% of these neighborhoods. City three now makes up 43% of all Torontonians. Do the math, that's over one million people. One million people, two thirds of whom are visible minorities. They're largely disconnected from public transit and they are struggling in the very basics. And I want to touch on those basics. Housing, food, and work. First, for housing. Earlier we spoke about all of the great things that we're doing in Toronto, how highly ranked we are. Well, we're 215th internationally for housing affordability. Last year we moved from seriously unaffordable into the category of severely unaffordable. What does that mean? Well, in the mid-1990s, for every two families looking for affordable housing, there was one unit on the market. By the time we get to the middle of this decade, it's seven families chasing one unit of affordable housing on the market. And this has ripple effects. I want to touch on one of them. It's food. Half of Toronto lives in a food desert. 51% of Torontonians live in a food desert. That's an area where there's no grocery store within a one-kilometer radius. So low-income residents, particularly those in the inner suburbs, they often don't have cars, difficult to access uh, public transit. They go to the easier access of convenience stores and fast food outlets. 
And one of the results in this is truly startling. In Toronto, one-third of all children between the ages of 2 and 11 are overweight or obese. And this does not bode well for the next generation. Let's have a quick look at work. Due to a declining birth rate and aging workforce in Toronto, effective 2008 onwards, all new net growth to our labour force is going to come through immigration. But our newcomers continue to struggle. Vital Signs has noted that recent immigrants have close to double the unemployment rate of non-immigrants, and when they get hired, it's for roughly half the annual salary. That's not a good condition. So enough numbers. Let's bring it all together. The author Thoreau once said, life is not what you look at, but it's what do you see. So what do we see in our vital signs today? We're more prosperous. We're safer. We're greener. We are a winning city. But hold the victory lap. If you're poor, you've gotten poor. If you're young, you're more likely to be inactive and overweight. And if you're new to this country, the recession has definitely hit you the hardest. Vital Signs reveals a city with great accomplishments and great challenges, but above all, in my view, great promise. In many ways, we are on the right track, but to borrow a phrase from my son's fifth grade class, even if you're on the right track, you'll get run over if you just sit there. If we have any expectation of remaining that winning city, folks, we can't sit still any longer. But there is something we can do about this. There are a number of actions we can take, we should take, and in my opinion, we must take in order to build the city we deserve. First of all, we badly need to reinvest in this city in three key areas. Affordable housing, so young families can actually afford to put down roots in our city. How many times have you heard you can't afford to raise a child in the city? Well, I ask, what's a city without its children? Secondly, even more of a focus on transit. It's our circulatory system. It's old and it's clogged. We need to be able to move people and ideas and goods across the city. We need to get back to that. Infrastructure, the roads and bridges. Some of our water mains and sewers are over 100 years old. They need to be updated, and we keep putting it off at our own peril. Secondly, we need to recognize that we're in, a we're in a competition for global business as well as global talent. G7 nations are all facing declining birth rates and aging populations. We cannot continue to take highly skilled foreign talent for granted. Benign neglect is not a winning strategy. We're in a competition, let's act like it. And thirdly, and perhaps most importantly, the times call for a special type of leader, a mayor who can think globally and act globally. The days of fixing potholes alone is long, long behind us. We need a mayor who can build bridges that will connect us with this rapidly evolving and growing global village. So how do we make this happen? Well, we can only make it happen when we stop thinking of ourselves in terms of us and them. So let's start with our governments, the senior levels of government. They must provide additional tools to Toronto to raise revenue beyond just the property tax base so we can begin to share equitably in the very economic growth created by the city 
in the city so we can invest in the city. We must continue to remind our political leaders that these vital signs that I'm speaking of are not just city issues, but are matters that go to the very heart of Canada's social and economic future. The health of this city is a national issue and must not be ignored. To the city, don't just wait. The city should aggressively explore efficiencies as well as alternative methods of financing, including exploring new funding relationships with the private sector. There are no other options now. And how about Torontonians, all of us? Well, when we can finally acknowledge that running this city is so much more than running just a very big 7-Eleven, that's when we can start a real discussion about how to build a great city. A great city, a theme that has been completely lost in this current municipal election. So, this is all simple, it's just not easy. But it all starts with a new attitude towards each other, a new type of thinking, a new type of politics, and a new type of leadership. And I can best sum it up by an old saying I was recently reminded of. The hardest ship to sail is a partnership. I believe that competition may have built this city, but collaboration is our way forward. Lots of people, especially in this room, you know how to do competition. Knowing how to do cooperation, that is much, much harder. We need to find a way to reward cooperation. We have all kinds of ways to reward competition. We need to stop thinking of ourselves and our sectors as silos and walls, but rather as bridges. And never before has this opportunity been so near and the stars aligned so well. I'll tell you why. Toronto and much of the world are increasingly being built on three key foundations. The public sector, the private sector, and the philanthropic sector. Historically, each of these has had very, very different bottom lines. For business, it's profits and money. For governments, it's security and social cohesion. And for the not-for-profit sector, it's quality of life. But something changed over the last 20 years. They've begun to align with each other. Governments are now much more focused on the financial bottom line. And businesses have a mission to satisfy more than just their shareholders and their customers. And today, philanthropy is not only taking on a larger role in society, it's become a meeting place of government and business. These sectors are aligned as never before, right at the bottom line. But if the story that emerges from vital science today tells us anything, is that our sectors, our efforts, our interests have to be aligned even more on a scale previously unimagined. That would happen when all of us in this room, in this city, decide that what the city really needs is not just new thinking, but a new attitude towards Toronto and each other. Working together is a necessary condition for building our city anew, but it's not a sufficient condition. We need to use our collective wisdom, brains, and imagination to bring forward the best ideas and make them the most workable ones. After all, you can't wring your hands and roll up your sleeves at the same time. Thank you.
Thank you very much, Rahul. I'd now like to welcome Martin Connell and Margaret Wente to the stage to join Rahul in a conversation. Are we on? Great. You know, I always, I get so inspired when I listen to these guys, both Rahul and, and Martin, um, because, partly because philanthropy has done so much for this city in the last decade. Just look around you, and you can see the power of civic engagement and of philanthropy to really transform the cultural sector of the city for sure. Um, and so I want to sort of kick off this conversation from a very personal note. Um, I and a lot of other people in this room who have the privilege of living in, in the first city, I think realize what a blessing it is. But we also, um, we also some of us are, are hungry at a certain stage in our lives to, to get more engaged with our own city and to try to figure out ways that we can give back. So Martin, I want to start by asking you this. You know, as somebody who's, who's not Bill Gates, and I don't have a billion dollars to give away, and, and, and I'm not the Bank of Montreal, um, you know, I'm just a citizen who wants to plug in somehow and help. How do, how do I, how does somebody like me um, just get a handle on, on how I can make a contribution? Peggy, I'm pretty sure that if with this crowd here, you're going to have no trouble after lunch getting, <laughs> getting an opportunity. I think that the truth of the matter is there are over 8,000 charities in the city of Toronto, and hundreds of which would be more than delighted to hear from you. And I think so that speaks to the concept of your own passion, your own interest, and finding those organizations that sort of line up with those aspirations for yourself. They'll be happy to see you. Organizations need volunteers, they need people to help raise money, they need people to help man the, the programs that they're involved in. So the opportunities are there in spades. It really comes down to making a decisive movement on your own part to find your way into it. They're welcoming arms waiting for you. Can you tell us a little bit more about the, um, the website you talked about um, and what's on it, what I can find out, how sure. that might help? Sure. So we were thrilled with the, uh, the opportunity to partner with IBM to create the Community Knowledge Center. And as I said, it's like the YouTube for philanthropy. We have now over 100 organizations who have posted their profiles up here. And we've had the, the law of unintended consequences came of this. They told us how much they enjoyed knowing about what the work each other was doing so they can partner with each other as well. So it's like going to, on a site visit without leaving your desk. You can actually see uh, what's going on in the communities. You can hear about the great stories about the phenomenal work of all of these community organizations there. And we encourage people to, to learn about them and to connect with them because there are, they're there and waiting in arms to, to have people give them a hand. In fact, in our Metro News this morning, uh, there's a section on how people can actually help and be a part of the solution. And it's all predicated on civic engagement, which I don't need to say, which is what everybody's here for today. You've talked a little bit, uh, both of you have talked 
have talked about. Use the word leverage. And uh, that's what the Toronto Community Foundation does a lot of, a lot of leverage. I understand that term in a business context, but what's it mean in a philanthropic context? Can, I don't know, Martin, maybe you, can you well, talk about that? To put things into perspective, the, the, the contribution of individual Torontonians is around 1% of our GDP. I got to believe that about 10% of the activity that takes place in this city comes as about as a consequence of the not-for-profit sector that's at work here. So the institutions that are, are, are peopled and supported by volunteers, the contributions of dollars that we had $500 million go into the arts institutions here in Toronto that came from private individuals, foundations and corporations. What that has done in terms of unlocking economic activity, in terms of unlocking our cultures, is, is absolutely immeasurable. And I think that's just an example of what happens when a group of citizens get together and decide they want to make something happen. Can you talk about a couple of things the Toronto Community Foundation has done to um, bring different groups together and uh, connect them all and uh, you know, use that power of, uh, I guess, you know, all of the different capabilities and competencies around the city to create something really original and new? You told me about some of these. I'm looking around the room and I can see a number of our partners when I talk about the Toronto Sports Leadership Program. And this one is one that goes right to the heart of City 3. I'll tell you a little bit of a story. A couple of years ago, uh, during Summer of the Gun, the issue of youth violence really percolated in, viol in uh, vital signs. So people started together to say, well, what can we do about this? And at the end of the day, we started conferring within the communities. And they said, you know what? Youth really need healthy alternatives. And sport would be a great way. So it got put on the table. What if we've got kids involved, youth involved in sports leadership training, soccer coaches, basketball coaches, lifeguards? And he said, well, a great idea. And then we went down to the city and said, OK, city, if we've got all these kids, can you hire them in parks and rec so they've actually got something to do and a place to go for work? They said, great idea. So we started with a partnership. We had a donor who was happy to contribute it. We went over to United Way. They liked the idea, and they doubled it up. Then we went to the YMCA, and we said, we're looking for a real partner to help us in the lifeguarding component of it. And they said, great, we'll be there too. And by the time you were done, we had our three partners, the city, and a host of others from uh, MSLE to the school boards. And we had the Toronto Sports Leadership Program. And what are we, four or five years in, we've got over 400 youth in these high-priority neighborhoods who have now been certified at a national level of sports training. Can we talk about the lifeguarding program as well? Is that part of this? Yes. Just tell me a bit about that. I thought that was really interesting. Well, this was a part of the sports leadership program. And I think one of the, uh, the interesting things about this year is um, you realize not all these kids can swim as well as the others. So for those who weren't that good at swimming, uh, they got certified in wading pool guard, <laughs> which I didn't know actually existed. But that's a great opportunity, and they're on a better path. That's terrific. There's another story, Martin, that you told me um, that sort of connects back to food deserts and food and nutrition issues. And I, I thought that, that that was really, really extraordinary community initiative. Can you tell us something about that and how it all, all it started? Right. <clears throat> there, there's been a program that was started initially in, in uh, the, what's the name of the gardens over, I mean, Alexander, Alexander Park. Park. And that was started three years ago by a donor who was particularly attracted to Kensington Market. She had grown up there. She had, was, had a fun with us. She was a, had a, had a great interest in food. She was a food writer. 
and she wanted to do something in that neighborhood. And here was, it, again, one of those highly diversified neighborhoods where people were operating largely in isolation from each other. And through a contribution she personally made through the Community Foundation, that match was indeed matched by others. And other players, such as Toronto Community Housing and other organizations, came in and participated to the point now uh, it's been picked up. It's now in St. Jamestown, and it's beginning to roll out. And, and it brings together youth. It brings together families. It brings together women who come from a variety of different cultures in a safe and secure environment where the focus is on food. And, and that's a classic example of, again, collaboration and partnership. You know, all of this is making me feel um, quite encouraged because when you look at, look forward to the next decade and the reality of government funding um, and tell us, tell us what that's going to look like from your perspective. We've lived in, the, in an era, we've lived with government contraction for decades. So I think that the reality is the private sector has, generally speaking, done the best it can do. It can never fill all the pockets that have been left by, by government. But on the other side of the coin, it brings together the best of human nature to solve problems and challenges. And I'd like to think that the Community Foundation is really well positioned to take on that role of being a catalyst and a convener around many, many of these themes. You know, it's, what strikes me um, about these stories is that these are so creative. You, you, you got to think a government bureaucrat couldn't think them up. I mean, they couldn't be thought up in a, in a government context. But when you have a bunch of individuals working together, um, the creativity unleashed is really, really extraordinary. And the good news is government, generally speaking, does follow once the programs are up and running. So. Well, that's the thing. You know, yeah. I think of programs like um, Pathways to Education, for instance, which I think is in the, is in the, the Toronto Star section great program um, about basically giving kids from, uh, from places that wouldn't normally have big aspirations to go to university or college, just get them with a whole lot of community support, give them that motivation, all that support they need to make that bridge um, to higher education. It's been started in Regent Park. It's been an enormous success. I've met some of these kids all started in the community and then eventually government picked up a piece yeah. of it. Again, with a small handful of volunteers and a dedicated staff people working at the community health center. Okay, more stories? So, well, We've got we five take, more minutes. Well, if we can take away anything from today, I hope we see the vital signs paints a picture of a city that's just exceptional. And we're number one in so many things. We're greener, we're safer. But when we think about the other side of the equation, and we use it by at least analogy, city two and three, we know that there are those in need, but it's the opportunity of philanthropy to actually play a real meaningful role on bringing business and government together in a new way to collaborate around that. So these stories are just small incidences of how that's working, but if we can figure out how to scale that up even more so, I think we're going to be really on the track of making some real transformational change in the city. So I remain very optimistic. You know, we're number the one in so many things, and those areas that we're shaky on, we can really start to, to do some things. And as I go through the city and I talk to people about vital signs, you know, you get the eager-looking faces out here, and this is the face of civic engagement. This city cares about itself, and I think that's a source of great optimism on a go-forward basis. Rahul, it always makes me feel so good to talk to you. Um, you don't you think you could, you think you might consider running for... Um... No, no. <laughs> Well, 
Well, I just want to thank you, uh, thank everyone so much, and thank you for being my inspiration Thanks. Thanks. for Thanks. years. Thank you. Thanks to all of you. I'd like to welcome Allison Lote to the, uh, to the podium to uh, thank our guests formally. An election is always an important reminder that politics is ultimately about how we choose to live together as a society. The Vital Signs Report, for both its good and its bad news, allows us to make a much more conscious decision in that regard. Thank you, Rahul Bhadraj and Martin Connell, for speaking to us today. Your leadership and that of the Toronto Community Foundation is important to helping us think about how to be better citizens of this city. Thank you also to Margaret Wente for your thoughtful moderation. I was reminded, just as I am when I read your columns, that we can always count on you to provide a more fulsome way of looking at things. Thank you, everyone, for being here, and please join me in thanking our panel. Thank you, Allison. Thank you, Rahul, Margaret, and Martin. And thanks once more to BMO for making today possible. This concludes our television programming, which has been broadcast live on Rogers TV. We are grateful to Rogers TV and 680 News for their continuing promotion of Canadian club events. This meeting is now adjourned.